Welcome into the EMA Online Podcast. Mason Voth, Alec Bussey, Gabe Schwartz here with you as we recap the Wildcats' victory over Baylor. First team that they sweep in conference play this season ends up being the Baylor Bears. Um, I, Scott Drew probably wouldn't say it publicly. He's He didn't last night, but he has to be the most upset man in America right now that Jerome Tang beat him twice in uh, his first season as a head coach. Which leads me to start things off by asking, is Scott Drew a system coach? Uh, was Jerome Tang the, the reason for all the success in Waco over the last 20 years? Because the, uh, the answer is starting to look like yes. Well, Mason, going off your favorite tool to sort college basketball teams, the answer would be no, because Baylor's ranked higher than Kansas State still. Uh, that is a lie. I don't, I, I don't say that's the best way to sort teams, but it is a way to sort teams. That isn't as you bad as you see. You love the AP poll. Because everybody loves being in it. I hate the AP poll. It sucks. Is Illinois ranked Gabe right now? Yeah. If you're an AP poll person, I'll go at you. I'll go at you with it. And Gabe will join me. Mason, Gabe I was just going to say, I would player. disagree with the fact that Scott Drew was upset about losing twice to Jerome Tang. I think that if, if, if you asked Scott Drew – who he could donate wins to this year. Like if you could assign your, if, Hey Scott, you're going to lose seven times in big 12 play this year. Where, where do you want those, those losses to go? He would give two of them to K state. Oh yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're right about that. But like at the end of the day, like he, you know, they get back to Waco and he finally gets home and he sits there and he just thinks to himself, ah, man, I, I, I really let Jerome beat me twice this year. Like I couldn't get him once. Like, I think that has to sting a little bit. Like, he's proud of Jerome Tang. He's happy for him. But also, there's a little bit there where you're like, really? Like, well, they, it would be well, – they call themselves it would be brothers, like if, right? They call themselves yeah, brothers. Exactly. So, so, you want to beat Here's most. what I was going to say. You want to beat your brother it when would, you play pickup basketball or whatever board game or whatever yeah. you're doing. You want to beat your brother the most. As so someone who doesn't have a brother, I, I'm putting myself in the perspective of – Gabe, I think you have a brother, right? Yeah, I have two of them. Yeah, like, you guys each have two brothers. Like, who do you want to beat more? Yeah. You want to beat your dad or you want to beat your brothers? You want to beat your brothers. Well, this is a tough question because I got two younger brothers, so I, I beat them a lot early on because I was just older. Um, so I would say it's and my my dad, like I'm think I'm like relating this to golf. My dad's better at golf than my brothers are. So like beating my dad feels like more of an achievement. But I don't I hate losing to my brothers more than I hate losing to my dad in anything. So that would probably be where where it sits right now. I just I thought about that today and I was like he has to, there's a little bit there where he's like, really? I couldn't get him one time. Like what, what's going on? So maybe, maybe Scott Drew gets him in Kansas city. Uh, we'll see, but it was a good win for K state last night, 75 to 65. Uh, they take down Baylor. They were down at halftime and they had pushed it to a 10 point lead early in the first half. And then Baylor made a push. They hit some big threes. They are just an elite team when it comes to making the three, which I love, but I said at one point to Alec, it's not very fun to watch your school lose to a style of basketball that you love. Uh, Baylor plays a style of basketball that I love. But K-State, very similar to how things went uh, over the weekend um, against Iowa State. Down at halftime, didn't really matter. They came out, made a good push to start the second half. And ultimately, the last six, seven minutes, K-State you know, still had to kind of put things away. But it was at arm's length, and it was pretty comfortable for them. Uh, and, and there was a lot of good to take away from it. So, I'll start with uh, Alec on this one. What's your biggest takeaway from last night's win for K State? Can I pivot that real quick to another to another way? Uh, if you, it, whatever way you want to take it. 
My biggest takeaway from last night's game is I think Baylor gets bounced in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Okay. That All is, right. Well, if I think we're going to talk it, about K-State. Um, sorry. Like, that was insane. actually my biggest takeaway. They're going to be a top night. three seed. I think they're going to get bounced in the first yeah, weekend. Scott Drew's done that before. I mean, he's. I think they're going to get bounced you know, in the first weekend. Their defense is brutal. Georgia State, Yale, whoever it may be. It's happened before to Scott Drew and the boys. But, but I, I mean, I can see K- it. From the well, they don't guard, and this is kind of leads me into my next yeah. point. Is like I think K State did a really good job of taking advantage of Baylor's weaknesses. I mean, they shoot forty eight percent from the field. Marquise Noel dishes out ten assists. I think that's the first time he's had ten assists since the game at Texas. I'd have to double check that. Um, I know I wrote it in the player grade, so you can check it out there for the stat. But um, you know, I thought K State did a really good job of getting high percentage shots for most of the night. Like I said, they shoot forty eight percent from the field. Um, from three, they go four of 21. So that's obviously not great, but they got, they got to the lane really well. I thought, and I think that's kind of represented by the fact that they were pretty good on layups going 16 of 24 at the rim. And, um, I think it all kind of started early with Keontae Johnson getting that alley-oop layup on the opening possession. And then I think their second or third possession, their second bucket of the game was another alley-oop to Keontae Johnson Mm -hmm. for a dunk on the opposite baseline. So I think that the biggest takeaway for me was K-State did a really good job of, uh, attacking weak spots in Baylor's defense and getting baseline. The baseline seemed to be open a lot. And then I think they did a really good job of really frustrating Baylor defensively in the second half because, golly, Baylor was terrible offensively in the second half, Gabe. I think that the thing that stood out to me most was, and I just checked Marquis Noel's game log, it, it was his first double-digit assist game since the, the first Baylor matchup. Um, it and I think it's very hard. indicative of – and, and it's a good sign for Marquise Noel that he he did what he was supposed to do. Now, I would say he went above and beyond because double-digit assist performances in college basketball don't happen super often. But 10 assists, no turnovers, and specifically the no turnover part of the thing when he's averaging 3.6 per game entering last night um, is super important. And it's what you should do against Baylor's guards because they they don't pressure the ball super well. Uh, they don't force turnovers super well. Uh, I was told that LJ Carr is a really good defender, though. <laughs> yeah, that's if I you know, disagree. you know, if you know, I, you I would know, disagree with that notion. <laughs> um, but <laughs> on Saturday, Baylor allowed Dewan Harris to go eight assists, no turnovers, and then they turned around and allowed Noel to go 10 and none. So, not to say like that's what you should do against Baylor, but when you're playing at home against their guards and Keontae George has little to desire to do anything in the that even remotely resembles stopping anyone from dribbling around him uh you should be able to do that when you're driving and then they've got secondary help looking at the ball handler and you've got cam carter cutting back door for layups so you got Keontae cutting back door for lobs like it was a great game from marquise noel it wasn't his best he could have shot the ball better he's still in a little bit of a shooting slump um but very encouraging sign. And, and yeah, I walked away with the same takeaway as Alec in not that they're going to lose necessarily in the first round, but I said first weekend. Did I say first round? You, you said, said first, first round. round. Oh, I meant to say first weekend. They'll lose the first weekend. Sorry. But let me clarify that. I walked away thinking like, if you go the top five of the big 12, um, I would, I would bet a lot that if you're, if you're, if you're asking me who's going to make the final four, I would certainly, after last night, and I probably didn't think this necessarily before, 
uh, last week. Um, but after last night, I think K-State is more likely to be a Final Four team than Baylor is. And I feel I, pretty yeah. confident in saying that. I would agree with that because what we've seen the last well, the last two games for sure, K-State's defense has been a lot better in both of those games. Like I, Baylor still shot close to 40% from three last night, but I thought they did a really good job on it. And Baylor was held to 33% shooting in the second half from three. Um, so K-State did a better job there and, and just forced them to miss some shots. And Baylor made some really tough ones. So K-State's at least going to defend um, a little bit better than Baylor. And when you get a performance like last night, K-State had everybody put it together for him. Like, I, I, I don't know what you guys thought, but I don't think there was a single player that deserved any, like, negative remarks from last night's game. They all, all seemed to play at a pretty high level. Um, we had some people ask, like, where was Tyke Green last night? One, bad matchup for Tyke Green to be a part of, so he didn't really fit into the, to the puzzle anyways. But on top of that, there was never really a moment where somebody did something so stupid that Jerome Tang had to get fired up and grab him off the bench and throw him in there for him. Um, everybody kind of did, did their thing and played a really good role last night. And I think that Baylor, obviously, the weakness is going to be the defense. They could They could shoot their way past a couple teams, but this is the reason, like, I, I always get weary. I love the way Alabama plays basketball, and they may be the best team in the country, but I'm never going to pick Alabama to win an NCAA tournament playing the way that they do because it, you have You're to rely on them to shoot the ball the for 68 hours. No, I no. I have always said this about Alabama. Okay. Uh, I I just think like if you have to rely on your shooting so much, even though I love it, and and that's how I would run a team, I'd be like, let's shoot the lights out of the building. I understand that in college basketball, like you're going to have to D up at some point a little bit. And last night, Baylor didn't show that. And I think a lot of people going into it felt like Keontae Johnson could have a big night. He puts up 25. It was the most points that he had had in a game um, since the game in Waco where he had 24. And he was able to dominate. Marquise Noel, like you said, was just able to pass it all over the place. It was perfect. So, um, yeah, I mean, K-State, the, the upside is there. But that leads me into my next question that I've been thinking about because we, you know, walking out last night talked about this and at other various points, whether it's looking at possible matchups for K-State or whatever else. And you seem to look at a bracketology and and I know I, I do this. I go, I don't really like that matchup for K-State. I think everyone I don't like this. that one for K-State. Well, yes, to some extent, but I think that there have been K-State teams in the past where I can look at it and go, oh, I think K-State can handle this. But the reason I think I do it is – can we really point to anything that K-State does at a at like an elite level or really good that is like the calling card of K-State this year? Because the offense has struggled at various points, there's really only two guys you have to focus on on a consistent basis. And then the defense has been better now, and that gives me some encouragement moving forward, but it can't necessarily be relied upon. So is there anything that K-State does extremely well that you would brand them at? I've gotten to the point now where I feel like they play really good defense. Um, if you look at where they're at and adjusted defensive efficiency right now by Ken Palm, they're flirting with top 15. They're 16th right now. Their defense has started to turn into a much more consistent thing, um, despite having some limitations just due to physical limitations with a point guard who's five foot eight. But defensively, I thought what K-State did in the second half against Baylor was the best half of defense they've played in a year this season. They, Baylor shoots 37% and 33% from three in the second half, but they had a stretch at one point where they didn't score um, for over three minutes, and they had a stretch where they went one of ten from the field. There was a point, 
I want to say it was about midway through the second half where they were shooting about 23% from the field. Um, and I think that Baylor's kind of shooting numbers in the second half were a bit inflated by the points and the buckets they scored late when K-State basically was saying, like, go ahead and score. We just don't want to foul you because we want the clock to run, I think is kind of what it turned into in the last couple of minutes. So that inflated Baylor's shooting numbers. But I think defensively, this is turning into a team that's really good. And then we also know this is a really good duo with the top of the rotation with Marquis Sewell and Keontae Johnson. And when Gabe talks about, you know, this being a K-State team that he would bet on to go to the Final Four before Baylor, I think it's because of those two. Um, I think that a lot of people would probably take Adam Flagler over Marquise Noel or take Keontae Johnson um, in a battle with any of Baylor's backcourt. But the way that those two players play off of each other for K-State has turned into one of the best duos um, in the country. And it becomes really difficult to stop them offensively when those two are clicking. But then even more so when you get a third guy to contribute like K-State did last night and um, Cam Carter scores in double figures for the first time since the win against Texas and K-State's five and one, I think this season when he scored at least 10 points. So when they get a third guy to score 10 points and particularly someone in that backcourt, their, their offense becomes really, really good. I think one of the things that I would, I don't know if it's necessarily luck or skill-based. Um, if you look at K-State's numbers, they're pretty decent defending the three-point line i am one of those people who is pretty adamant about uh three-point variance and how college basketball is such a small sample size uh with so few games that like random things can happen and so that those numbers are almost never as good or as bad as they look um but it does feel like k-state contests the three pretty well and i don't really think that baylor had a lot of good looks from three like the ones that they did like when they started hitting them it was just because the contested threes started to fall uh during that little mini run and i know that crier had like a wide wide open three at the end of the game that he just it was almost like a so open i'm gonna just airball this because i it feels weird spot um but i do think k-state plays decent defense on the perimeter and i think for as much as Keontae johnson might have struggled with foul trouble uh, at times this year, more often than not, it feels like it's because he picks up a dumb one on the offensive end, which is mm-hmm. probably not something that's going to happen super often. So because K-State's two best players are Keontae and Marquise, and neither one of them, in my mind, are going to be put in a position where it's like, oh, he didn't play in the turn in this turn. Like we we lost in this tournament game because he didn't play because of foul trouble. Like Keontae Johnson, 2019. Keontae Johnson, in theory, can go and play with a couple fouls, even if he gets in foul trouble, and just try to avoid some. Um, and that stands out to me because I don't think that there's a single big on this team, regardless of how Naquan Tomlin's playing, that like if one of them gets in foul trouble, you're thinking, oh, crap. Like that really, yeah. really hurts us if you're a K-State fan. Like whether it's Tomlin, whether it's Bebe, even if it's if you're if you're going with ish, like if any of them get in foul trouble, Jerome Tang is not being like, oh, I guys, I have no clue where we're going. So I think that is really helpful. But I I still think K State is one of those teams where they're probably not making the Final Four if things fall directly according to seed. But they could still make the Final Four. Like they're one of those teams that would be readily equipped to take advantage of a 10 seed beating a two 
and then them getting as a three seed, them getting like a 10 seed in the sweet 16 or something like that. Yeah, no, I think, I, I think that makes sense. I, I think it's just going to be interesting. I mean, we got three regular season games left and then the big, then the conference tournaments, and then we'll finally be at selection Sunday. It's just going to be really interesting to see where it falls for them because I think that the recipe, it's weird. Like their defensive three point numbers this year are really good. I think on the season, maybe it's changed recently with the way some teams have shot against them, but I think they, they were holding opponents under like 30% from three. And they the are. numbers say they're good. It's, it's never felt like that to me this year. It feels like they give a lot of open looks. And, and Oklahoma was obviously able to take advantage of that. Now, last night against Baylor, I didn't think there were very many open looks. And that's why the one that kind of jump-started Baylor when they were down 10 was Adam Flagler took a shot that was just kind of like, well, screw it. I need to do something. He just threw it up there and went in. And that was kind of one of those, oh, here we go. Um, so I, it's weird that, you know, K-State, the numbers look good there, but it feels like they've given some open looks to teams. But maybe I need to give credit elsewhere, and they do enough to, to make teams uneasy. And I think, you know, looking at some of the other things that, that took place last night, I mean, Marquise Noel's defense was good at the end of the game against Iowa State. Um, last night, obviously, it wasn't like horrendous or anything to where it, it stood out and you go, oh, that was a big problem. Uh, but I think the biggest thing for K-State was everybody that had minutes last night, they, they chipped in and, and the depth came through. And if that happens, then the calculus changes on this K-State team to where I'm not as like concerned about every single possible matchup they could see in March where they can compete with anybody when that depth is able to step up. And that's honestly like that to me is why Texas is tied for first in the big 12 right now. I think they've got the best depth in the conference. I think that they have a bunch of guys that they can look at and throw out there. And the level of performance isn't going to vary all that much for K state. We know that you very rarely are going to get really high end performances from a lot of these depth pieces. The only guy that has shown that ability has been Desi Sills this year. Um, the rest of the guys, you just need them to be at like an average level of play. And if they're able to do that, then you're good to go. The problem recently was K-State wasn't getting anything out of the bench. Now the last two games, not only have they gotten some better scoring, but it's also efficient. Like it's big for Cam Carter last night to be able to go out there and convert on his twos. He was five of six on shots that were inside the three-point line. That had been a struggle for him at points this year. He, he wasn't finishing at the rim. We even saw his finger roll last night in the middle of the lane. Um, so little things went right for K-State. And I, I don't know. I mean, we can maybe say that last night was a little bit fluky because that hadn't happened a lot recently. But also, I, I think this team got a little bit of a wake-up call on the way things went against Tech and Oklahoma. Uh, they had a, to realize that they needed to take some ownership and do some different things. So maybe they figured a little bit of this out. Um, and that's why the, these last three games, I think, are going to be really important to watch because th they're not like just overly tough tasks to go and beat Oklahoma State and Oklahoma at home and at West Virginia. It's tough because it's a Big 12 and these teams are still pretty good, but you don't have Kansas left on the schedule. You don't have Texas left on the schedule. Like if K-State is able to do what they did last night or in the second half against Iowa State, um, to where they look a lot more like what we saw earlier in the season, they're in a really good spot right now. And, and uh, honestly, the, the biggest thing from last night to me is that with that win, it, it doesn't like 100% lock it up, but pretty darn close to making sure that K-State doesn't have something weird happen and they have to end up playing on Wednesday night at the Big 12 tournament, which 
would suck for anybody this year because there's going to be at least one team that plays Wednesday night that feels like they shouldn't be there. And you very easily could lose that game to Oklahoma, uh, who you're going to have to play. So I, I think it's just important that you don't have to deal with that. You can focus on Thursday and and move on. And, and that's maybe more from like uh, a perspective of like for, for fan engagement and a lot of other things. But I think even just for the team, it's a lot better that if you show up and you lose like a hard fought game. Did we to... lose him? I don't know. I, I think know. we lost I mean, Mason. So I'm going to take over hosting this. Like I, I mean, did no, I, th- I can last hear you. I, 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 no, I, hey, we can, I, I think it's you. Yeah. Oh, is it yeah, it's, it's you. Yeah, it's you. Um, but what I was saying was like, I think it's better if K-State, like, you know, you don't want to go into the tournament with the lost Oklahoma. You can go in there and even if it's a hard fought loss, like TCU or Iowa State, whoever they play, that's a much better outcome. So we'll see. Right now, K-State would be the three seed, which is good for a couple of things. Um, it would mean that they don't have to play KU in the semifinal as it stands right now. Now, a lot of things could play out there. Um, but I think you'd like to uh, avoid that in a, in a semifinal matchup. But I don't know. They're good for, for last night from K-State. I'm just still trying to figure out what they actually do as a, as a really good team other than just find a way to win games. And at the end of the day, that's the most important thing and all that really matters. So if they keep winning, I'll shut up and I won't ask again what they're good at because obviously they're just good at finding ways to win. Yeah, I mean, I think that no matter what happens, I even if K-State goes and loses the rest of the road games, uh, Saturday against Oklahoma State and then at the end against West Virginia, which I think is feasible. If not, it mm-hmm. might be the most likely outcome. Uh, assuming they beat Oklahoma at home next Wednesday, they're still winning more games than they lost in conference play in what might be the strong, one of the strongest single seasons from any league ever. So that being in year one of Jerome Tang at K state is an overwhelming, massive success. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Go ahead, Alec. It's hard for me to argue. It's yeah, I was gonna say it's like hard for me to argue that. Like I, I know there's been a lot of discourse amongst K State fans, especially after the losses at Texas Tech and Oklahoma, of this team was done, or people were throwing in the towel, or they thought that they had hit their wall, and maybe the preseason expectations had become a reality, considering they had lost four of five at that point. But I think that no matter what this season for Kansas state needs to be viewed as an overwhelming success. Like they're going to be no worse than a five seed at worst. And I think they're probably going to end up with a protected seed in the NCAA tournament. And that's remarkable for a team that was picked to finish 10th in the NCAA tournament or picked to finish 10th in the big 12 before the season started for a team that quite honestly, I think people were hoping at best was a bubble team to turn into a top four seed is impressive and it might be a two they might be yeah, a two. like they could very well end up being a two seed and no matter what happens in the NCAA tournament at that point like from a 30,000 foot view this season needs to be viewed as a success in my opinion from Cadence State and like if you're a two seed and you lose to a 15 seed yeah like you're gonna have a terrible 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 taste in your mouth if you are a four seed and you lose to a 13 you're gonna have a really 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 bad taste in your mouth but like, they've done that twice for the Big 12 championship teams under Bruce Weber. Like, realize what 
like realize at the same time, like what this season was in comparison to what many thought it was going to be considering the personnel that was brought in and what the expectation was for them. And like, I think it should just inspire a lot of belief about not only the direction of the program and the big picture, but belief in what Jerome Tang is going to be able to continue to recruit to the program. And it it all starts. I think a lot of people look at the first year of a head coaching tenure in football and basketball at the college level and think it's not that important, but I think it's incredibly important because it sets the tone for everything else that comes after it. If you have a disappointing first season, it becomes really hard to recruit off of that. It becomes really difficult to build off of poor momentum. And KSA now is entering an off season where they're probably going to have to replace the starting point guard. And they're probably going to have to go to the transfer portal for a couple pieces. And Kansas State is going to have a hell of a sell for those people. And it should allow them to potentially hit on important pieces moving forward. I know that's like looking way ahead at this point, but um, we're looking at the situation now where I think that this season, regardless of the way it ends, should be viewed as a success for Kansas State. Well, and, and I, I think, you know, if you, I, one, you're right. Like you're going to be able to sell anybody. It helps that Keontae Johnson was able to come in and have the success that he did. Now he's a phenomenal player, but there was a lot there that had to be unpacked. Like one, he hadn't played basketball at all. You know, take away the, the circumstances for why he hadn't played basketball in a long time, but he just hadn't played. And he was able to come to K-State. They gave him that opportunity and they, they turned him into a, a really good player again. Now, a lot of that had to do with Keontae, but they gave him the chance. Then you add into the mix that like he had a health concern there that K-State looked at and said, hey, like we believe in this. We, we know that we can manage it. We're not too concerned. We're going to give you a great set of circumstances. It worked out. Marquise Noel, even the last couple of weeks haven't been there scoring-wise. Like Again, you look at the entire season. His game went to a new level this year that it wasn't at last year where it feels more consistent as opposed to last year there were some moments that were really fun. I will always love the man for hitting a big, deep, monstrous three to beat Wichita State and Wichita. Nothing I enjoy more than watching the Shockers lose, especially to K-State. Um, but he became like not just a, a fun, good role player that, this year. He was a good player and sometimes great player for K-State. So there was a lot of good there. And like I think everybody's going to look back at this first year, no matter what happens with Jerome Tang, and be like, that was pretty dang impressive. The thing that just sucks is that in the moment, Tang had this thing rolling in such a direction. This team was playing so well. And you look at it now, like they should be tied with Kansas and Texas for first place in the league still if they just beat the two worst teams in the league on the road. I get it. It's the Big 12. It's tough to say. But you lost at Tech and Oklahoma in back-to-back games. That sucks to kind of have to stomach. Um, And and so in the moment, it stinks because you look at the records and you're judging the team based on how they've been playing as opposed to what they really should be playing at. And it feels like that they they failed and that they they let people down. But in reality, like they they probably would have dropped those somewhere else. And, you know, I was talking to to one of the guys last night walking to the press conference. I I think if you're K-State and if you're the fans, you would much rather exchange two kind of crappy feeling road losses for the last two home wins against Iowa State and Baylor. Like you would rather take the the great wins with some not so fun losses as opposed to if you just gone out there, won the games you're supposed to win or perceived to have won, and then you lost at home to like Iowa State and Baylor. That's not as fun. Um, The last two games have put K-State back into a position where not only is the fan base, you know, 
brought back in in a big way. Not like they were totally out, but some people were really beaten up about the, the OU and Texas Tech games. Now you bring a bunch of people back in, but also I think it's big for this team to get games played and won where you feel like, okay, what took place in January, that wasn't just you know some kind of lucky run we went on. Like it was the real deal. You were able to back up beating Baylor and Waco by doing it at home by double digits. And even though Iowa State was without Caleb Grill, you avenged that loss. You beat another top 25 team at home, a team that was tied with you in the Big 12 standings at that point. Like, that is significant. And so they've been able to have that first stretch where they've beaten everybody in the league now except for Oklahoma. So they have to rectify that next week. But you've now done stuff the the latter part of the season that backs it up. And if you're Marquise Noel or Keontae Johnson or whoever on this team, and even the coaches too – you can look at it and be validated and say, this is actually who we are. Those wins we got in January, they were real. They weren't, you know, some kind of little, you know, fallacy. They are the real deal. It makes sense. And, and we are a good basketball team. I think it's good to have that reinforcement when things felt as bad as they did after those two road losses. Yeah, I, I think that the the loss that probably stings the most is honestly – Texas at home. Yeah. And, but all things considered, you get an overtime win over West Virginia. You get an overtime win over Kansas. You get an overtime win over Baylor. Played it pretty close against Iowa State on the road. And and then you've got the Texas Tech and the Oklahoma games on the road. Like, all of those games uh, considered, like, thinking, thinking things through on both a, what went well that probably shouldn't have gone well or could have gone the other way pretty easily, and what didn't go well that could have gone well, nine and six feels like the right record for this team. Like it feels like this is the right spot for them to be in. And if we're being honest, Kansas and Texas are both uh, just better rosters, but among the teams that have pretty clear flaws or lack of depth, the Baylors, the Iowa States and TCU, which just dealt with injuries, like K-State, you can make a really strong case and the standings would say it with them at three right now, like that they've been the best of those teams. So this feels like, I feel like they are in the right spot for where they should be. Um, And they're probably going to finish either 10 and eight or 11 and seven. And that's uh, really good. And, And I think that the best thing for them would be, like you said, Mason, to avoid Kansas in a big 12 semifinal because you don't want that emotional situation before a championship game. Cause either you win it and you're emotionally spent yeah. playing on a one day turnaround against probably Texas uh, or just any other quality big 12 team, or you lose to Kansas, which would suck too. Yeah. I think the concern was like last night, if K state had lost, uh, to Baylor, Baylor, you know, takes kind of a stranglehold on that three seed. And if you're K-State, then you're looking at the possibility of playing Iowa State in the first round and then KU in, in the semifinal. And, I mean, we know for the fans that would be hell on earth to have to deal with. One, it'd be an outrageous ticket if K-State, Iowa State, and KU were all in the same session. And then second, if you're a K-State fan, and even if you get that win over Iowa State on Thursday, but then you have to come back the next night and deal with all that, like as the players as well, those have been intense games, you know, against both KU and Iowa State this year, 
all four of them that you've played um, for different reasons, but they've all been pretty tight. I mean, even the one in Lawrence, KU went on that run to take, you know, an extended lead, never really got anything crazy in the second half, but it was still a, a pretty good back and forth. Um, I, I think that'd be, that'd be tough to, to do. And you don't want to expend obviously the physical energy you might have to do, but the emotional and mental energy that would go into that, I think might be tough to, to kind of come off of. So I think it's good there. It's good for everybody involved, and we'll see if it kind of holds out this way. A couple of notes on K-State talking about where they are record-wise. This is overall this season. K-State's 4-0 in overtime games, and they're 6-2 in games decided by six points or less. I know a lot of people do five points or less. I do six because two threes is six points. I think that makes more sense. Um, but that's a pretty good record uh, in, in those kind of circumstances for K-State. And you're going to have some stinkers in there. And kind of to what I talked about with, you know, rather having the wins over Baylor and Iowa State, I think if you're K-State, you'd rather have that record in, in those tight games that can be emotional and you want to come out with the win and you'll trade it for really the two bad losses to Oklahoma and Texas Tech that in the grand scheme of college basketball are not bad losses this year, but relative to how you were playing in the circumstance, they feel like bad losses to K-State. So, uh, all, all very good there. A couple of other things about the Big 12 uh, with three games left to play. Which of the, the last three games for K-State do you think is the most difficult uh, for them coming up? I assume you're not going to say Oklahoma, Alec. Uh, so West Virginia or Oklahoma State, which one's tougher? I think those are very close. I think it depends on the situation that West Virginia is in at that point in the season. They obviously – could be fighting for a tournament bid at that point. Like I think right now you're kind of looking at them right on the bubble, whereas Oklahoma state feels like they're in, but a lot of brackets haven't really kind of adjusted since Oklahoma state lost at West Virginia on Monday night. So I think both of those are going to be tough. I think that Oklahoma, you're getting Oklahoma state in a tough spot, maybe a little bit when you kind of look at what Oklahoma state's done, like to struggle the way they did defensively against West Virginia, I think is concerning. You gave up 85 points, um, if you're Oklahoma State to WVU, you gave up 100 to TCU. And obviously, TCU shut the lights out in that game. But you also give up 87 in a loss to Kansas. So I, I think if you're Oklahoma State, you're, you're kind of feeling like you lost your identity a little bit right now heading into Saturday's game. You're a team that is great defensively by all accounts. Like you're a top 15 efficiency um, defensively. You're really good. Um, against two-point shots and three-point shots. So it, it's really interesting to me to kind of see where Oklahoma State's at because, you know, we saw them win five games in a row, but they've now lost three straight. So I think that Oklahoma State is maybe a little bit due for a win, but it's also weird because they haven't been playing the way that we know Oklahoma State can play. Uh, but then I think the loss, the potential loss at West Virginia comes from the standpoint like West Virginia could just be desperate for a win to get into the NCAA tournament. And well, that's and for West Virginia, the, the schedule for West Virginia, these last three games are, are pretty difficult circumstances at KU at Iowa state and then home against K state. They're 16 and 12 right now. And, and that's why the win over. With, what, and that's why the win over Oklahoma state was so four, important for them. For five big 12 wins. Like, cause there, there is a realm where they lose out and, even though the Big 12 is good this year, West Virginia at 5-13 and 13 in the league, that becomes tough to sell again. Like, it felt like they were trending to a direction where, okay, they're back into it. Uh, but now, like, they're going to be pretty hungry and they're going to have to go and, and get after it. So, that you're right. I think 
it's going to be a matter of circumstance going into it. And I don't know, would you rather have West Virginia on a, on a two game losing streak or a two game winning streak? You know, they, they have the confidence. They've beaten these two great teams on the road. Bob Huggins isn't winning it out in field house. He can't win there. No, 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 no. You would definitely rather have them on a losing streak. I, I stand by that firmly because if they are on a losing streak, like you think they've quit. If they have, if they lose to KU, which they're going to, and then they lose yeah. to Iowa State, that is five of their last six. You could make it six of seven, and then they could lose seven of eight in the first night, Wednesday night against yeah. in the Big Twelve. That would put them at sixteen and sixteen. And I don't care how good the Big Twelve is; that's not a tournament team. Uh, so, like, I think if you're K State, you're just hoping that the snowball of bad gets keeps rolling for West Virginia. Same thing for Oklahoma State, but like it is up to K-State to continue to roll the Oklahoma State yeah. snowball. K-State is just hoping that KU and Iowa State create one. Um yeah. I I think. But yeah, you don't want you don't want West Virginia coming in with confidence because when they're confident, they're one of the best when they're that's confident true. and playing at home, they are one of the best offensive teams in the country. Like that's just what the numbers well, say. Let but, me put it let me put it to you this way. Does more likely to make the NCAA tournament. West Virginia with their final three games being Kansas, Iowa State, and Kansas State, or Oklahoma State with their last three games being Kansas State, Baylor, and Texas Tech. Hey, because let I me think, throw a third one I in think, the mix. Let me throw a third no, one in the mix. Texas Tech, TCU at home, at Kansas, home against Oklahoma State. They all have the same records right now. The only thing that is different is O-State has two more Big 12 wins than those teams. You would I, rather be. You would rather. I feel the most confident in Oklahoma State gets into the tournament ahead of West Virginia and Texas Tech, and I feel confident that Texas Tech isn't getting into the tournament unless they win at Kansas and win a game no. or two in the league tournament, and they're not winning at Kansas. So I, I think I think if Tech, I think if Tech wins two or three in the regular season, and then they just win on Wednesday night of the Big Twelve tournament, they're in. I, I don't be, think they would. They'd be 19 and 13. They'd be a near yeah, 20 they'd be in. team. Yeah. I, I think so. I you think, think te- that you think Texas think- Tech is the most likely of the three teams to get into the tournament? No, because I think no, Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma State, State is already in. But I would go OSU Tech, West Virginia. But I don't think that Oklahoma State's like a lock to get in. Their last three games are against Kansas State, Baylor, and Tech. So if they lose to Kansas State and Baylor, like they're then sitting at 16 and yeah. 14 and seven and nine in the league or seven and 10 in the league. Here's the thing. Baylor doesn't play any defense on the road. Oklahoma state's winning that game. And Baylor so doesn't on. play any defense anywhere. <laughs> so what are we talking about? They at least guys, fight a guys, little harder at home. We can, we can all agree in the words of Seth Davis, that the big 12 is a nine bid league. <laughs> I'm that, not there. Hey, sounds good to me. Sign me up. I'm not there. I I, I struggle to see Texas Tech get in. I, I really Ask, do. And, and listen, like Texas Tech is surging. I'll give a lot of credit to Texas Tech. Why they've do you hate great. Texas Tech? I don't. Like they've won four games in a row, and I'll give them a ton of credit. But I struggle to see a team that lost nine consecutive games and played nobody, absolutely nobody in the non-conference. Their best well, non-conference great. win is quite literally Georgetown and Louisville. Counterpoint. Counterpoint what? There's yeah, the three hundreds. Counterpoint is this. The counterpoint is this. As 
an alum of a team that is on the bubble competing against Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia for a bid. I have asked myself myself multiple times, what would Arizona State's record be if they played the Big 12 schedule? 18 and 0. And, <laughs> and now the answer is probably somewhere along the lines of five and 13 or six and 12, which by proxy, I guess makes me argue, do I want to see teams that have just won their league games and have a winning record against their leagues? If it's a power five league, or would I rather see a team and just, am I basically, are you willing to sign away an NCAA tournament bid to a team who just, gets credit for playing hard games. Like basically, you know what? You're in because your league was so hard. You don't get penalized for losing ever. That's that's the issue with the quad system and the net, in my opinion. That's essentially the question that the committee is being asked with these bottom three big 12 teams, because they have some quality wins. They also have just such an overwhelming set of bad losses. And like Texas tech, played Creighton, common opponent in non-conference. ASU beat Creighton. Texas Tech did not. I know Kalkbrenner played, whatever. Those types of things different. If Tech misses the tournament, it is going to be because their non-conference schedule sucked, not because – and they went to Maui, which is the insane thing. But it's going to be because their non-conference sucked, not because of the They beat Maui? Freaking Louisville. Who's probably the worst power five team in the country, along with George Power Six team in the country, along with Georgetown, South Carolina, and what, Minnesota? Cal, the tough part Cal, about it is, Cal, is like good call, Cal, good call, good call. If for Texas Bears. Tech, the, the non-con was the non-con was weak. Like there's no doubt about that. Um but the non-con so that's was what, weaker like, than for, Mitzi trying to put up a fight against a Rottweiler. Okay. You didn't need to bring her into this. That was uncalled for. You don't you need to use my dog as a subject of violence to <laughs> for like analogies on Texas Tech. Um uh, look, I, I get it. Like tech, the the non-conference like was not good, but it's it is similar in some ways to other teams out there. Like you look around, K-State obviously had a bad non-con. Uh but Kansas State has you had a bad non-con in the league. I understand that, but like here's the thing. Like, Tech has gotten good wins now in Big 12 play. And kind of what Gabe is saying, like, Tech, maybe they don't have the wins in the non-con, but they also don't have, like, the losses there. Now, the Ohio State one sucks at this point. Um, hey, that's that, like, that one kind of stings. Uh, neutral site, I think it's quad two. I think Ohio State's, like, in the 70s, maybe. But I thought they were maybe quad two. It's, it's borderline there. But, like, the games that were on there that they had no control over, like your Big 12 Big East game, you think you're going to get maybe a, a decent opponent. Well, the Big 12 and Big East gave you Georgetown. That sucks. You you sign up for three games in Maui, and you're like, oh, okay, we're going to go to Maui and get some good games here. They played Louisville, who absolutely sucks this year. Like, there's no doubt about it. I think you're right. Yeah, I think they are the worst Power 5 team of all time. Cal, uh, and then, Cal is so Cal, bad. Cal is worse. Cal is bad. Cal is really bad. They're um, awful. Yeah, Cal's really bad. I mean, Minnesota's um, in the 300s and is in like the 300s but in a lot of Then, like, like they played Creighton pretty, they played him tough. They didn't get the win. Not like, you know, unlike the Sun Devils who got the win. Uh, and then, like I said, the Ohio State one, you can kind of you can get on them for. But like they, 
a lot of teams don't schedule incredibly tough non-cons, especially when you're kind of in the middle ground of knowing what your team is going to be. And unfortunately, like Tech just got burned by the games that they thought that were going to be good on there. Like similar to K-State now, like Nebraska, you know, signing that deal two, three years ago, you probably could have known Nebraska was going to be bad. They're just not a basketball school, like whatever. But Wichita State was coming off of, you know, this great run here. The year before K-State and Wichita State start playing each other, Wichita State wins their conference, a conference that has Houston in it. And again, as much as I like to tell Wichita State fans that it was a fraudulent conference title, they played less games than teams in the league and COVID helped them out, blah, 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 whatever. Like they still won the American that year. And then, you know, they just sucked the last two years. Like it's, it's tough to have to deal with that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick up for Tech a little bit because they've gotten the wins now. And I think you could look around at a lot of other bubble teams and maybe they have better non-con schedules but they probably lost those games too, and they probably don't have the quality wins that Tech has uh, in, in Big 12 play against K-State and Texas and Iowa State. Tech is a I team will, to monitor. They're not on the bubble right now. That, that is where I'll say with that. Agreed. I'm not say saying Tech is in. I'm just – But they're not I even on the bubble. They are. I they're on the bubble. I you guys this, though. No, they're and not. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If – if you stand in front of a loaded pinata and get spun around a bunch of times I love and you hit it because you get 15 swings and someone else only got two, <laughs> I don't know how much more credit I'm supposed to give you for it if you whiffed 20 times. Like, if you swing it. Yeah. Okay, Texas Tech has played 11 ranked teams, and I know that the AP poll is flawed, but they've gotten 11 ranked, ranked teams. They've hit the pinata three times, okay? For comparison... Uh, if, if you're going on who's another bubble team, Wisconsin, Wisconsin's had two chances and they're one and one. So mm-hmm. like I, it's not super. It, it what is really, Okay. It so when we, say, the, when we say they're on the bubble or not on the bubble, what are we saying the bubble is for Texas tech? Well, I mean, if you like, it's as simple as this, like you go to the next four out on like, that, that's ESPN. where I'm looking at it right now. And like, yeah, tech is there. That's a bubble. Tech team. is there, but like, I don't really think Oregon's that close. No offense, Gabe. I don't really think Arizona State's that close right now. No, but here's those the- teams need really good wins to, I think, become it. Listen, and like, you're comparing Texas Tech to New Mexico, Utah State, and Charleston, who are well, not in the right now. In North Carolina, who is god awful. God awful. But- North Carolina, the only reason they're even in this conversation is is because they have Argyle blue-striped uniforms and an intertwined NC logo. And they were in the Final Four last year and were the preseason number one. If if Wisconsin, if North, if North Carolina had the same logo as Texas Tech, they're not even in the discussion. Well, yeah, that's honestly, fine. Carolina, well, Carolina has a work probably like Carolina probably Carolina has a worse resume than, than Tech. Tech. Yeah, exactly. That's Here, my point. I just am very, very, very anti a team going five and thirteen in their league and making the tournament. So if West Virginia loses out in the regular season, unless they go to the Big Twelve tournament title game, they should not be a tournament team, in my opinion. No, I agree with that. Texas Tech is probably gonna win two of these last three. And if you win seven games in the Big Twelve, you're a tournament yeah. team. But and that's why I said that's 13, what I said about K State at the start of the year. Like you go seven and eleven in the Big Twelve, you're probably getting into the tournament as long as you don't like really 
you know, stink in, in non-conference you play. Complete dog crap in the non-conference. No, see that doesn't matter because you can try to schedule tough and it won't work out, or you schedule tough and that team's different by the end of the year. Like, it, there's a lot of variables that go into it. Like, not everybody has the luxury of being able to schedule tough in the non-con for the circumstance but, of like the way coaches manipulate yeah, that and staffs manipulate that. Lost, like. like the difference is Texas Tech hurt themselves by not beating Ohio State and Maui. I, I look, Oklahoma I State hurt themselves by losing to Southern Illinois. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I I they just won seven like league games. There's, but like you can you can avoid like K State has a bad non-con loss to Butler. Like the way we look at K State now, they should not have lost at Butler. I mean, it sucks, whatever. But they were able to bounce back because they've you know made up for it in in this and they. Like you can lose a game or two here or there, but as long as it's not like if Tech had been like six and five in the non-con, then okay, even seven and eleven in the Big Twelve, that's not going to help. Yeah, that's not going to help your case. But the fact that they you know went out there, they beat up on all the teams they should beat up on, and then teams that they're in a similar realm to that you know were also playing at a different level at that time. Um, it, it, you know, they're seven and 11. It's going to stack up a little bit better. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to defend them a little bit. Cause I think Alec, I think you're too harsh on some of these teams. I think that you, I think you don't that, like, give people, tech due. I think people are throwing Texas tech in the idea that they can make it to the NCAA tournament as a seven win team in the big 12, because Iowa state did it last year. And congratulations. Like Iowa state did it, but Iowa state was also like 14 and zero at one point. And Iowa State had a terrible non-conference schedule. Yeah, but they also had Iowa State, over. Iowa State didn't even play anybody like Creighton last year. That, like, yeah, okay. But Iowa State had non-conference anybody. tournament had wins against non-conference teams that were in the tournament, including wins over Memphis, Creighton, and Iowa. Who does who did Iowa State beat in the non-conference? Or excuse me, who did Texas Tech beat in the non-conference this year? That is a tournament team. No one. Nobody. No, like, that's, I'm that. not. I, that's your difference. And like wins against the field matters. This whole this whole yeah, entire I, argument though is 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 fed by the fact that the tournament is only 68 teams and if it was 90 everybody would be in and we'd be we'd be arguing is Oklahoma worthy of of being in. So, yeah, we'd also have like Ohio State in the field, which isn't a good. That's idea. my point. That's why we and should not have North, 90. And we'd also have North Carolina in the field, which is just a ta- terrible idea. Unless North Carolina beats Virginia and or Duke at the end of the regular season. And maybe they will, then maybe they'll get back into the field. But the difference between like last year's Iowa state team and this year's Texas tech team is that Iowa state last year was an 11 seed and had some quality wins in the non-conference against teams that were in the field. Did they schedule overwhelmingly difficult? No, but they also were 14 and 0 in the non-conference, I think at one point, and they had wins against teams that were in the field. Texas tech doesn't have that right now on their resume. And yeah, yes. like Mason, you make good like Mason, you make good points that like you think that like you can you make good points along the lines of like you thought you were going to get someone better in the Big East challenge that the Big 12 does. You thought that you'd probably get better opportunities in Maui. Okay, well guess what you didn't. And like you don't get to control who you play in the Big East turn in the Big East challenge. You don't really get to guarantee who you play in saying. Maui. So like schedule someone on your schedule that you know you're going to play. And if, and if you don't do that, like, I don't feel bad for you if you miss the tournament because they don't deserve to be in the tournament right now because they have beat nobody in the non-conference. And, like, yeah, the Big 12 is the best league in the country by far, and they've won four games against really good teams, Kansas State, Texas, 
are two of the best marquee wins at home that any team has in the country right now. But, like, they lost nine games in a row. And their best non-conference win is against Georgetown or Louisville. Look, I I, I get it. There there are reasons not to like Texas Tech. I am well aware of that. And the non-conference was bad. But they didn't collapse against a weak non-conference schedule. And they have hung tough in the toughest oh, league yeah, in America. And against Houston Christian. I, look, I get it. I get in it. South Carolina I State. I totally get it. In I get State. it. You hate, you ha- I get it. You hate them. I get it. I 100% get it. I am just it's trying not that to. I hate them. It's just like, I think they need to do more to prove that they're in the tournament. Like, go beat TCU in Kansas, and you're going to get in. That's, look, that's what we're but saying. But you're already here. giving I'm them in. I'm not saying Tech is like. in now. No. No, you are discrediting that they're even in the conversation. They are in the conversation. They have work left to be done. It's similar to K-State last year. Like, Texas Tech this year is basically what K-State was this year. Where K-State, it looked like they were completely out of it. Then they started to play well, and they got some wins, like on the road at Texas, that really started to spur them. Um, They were able to get a a win at Iowa State, like – it started to, to stack up to where, okay, this team that's going to be just barely above 500 might be able to get in. And it was because they were doing well in their conference. They weren't disastrous in the non-con. Unfortunately, what happened for them was that they just fell apart again and they couldn't win games. Like they should have beaten Kansas at home. They should have beaten Iowa state at home and they found ways to lose those games and it just completely tanked them. Um, but like tech is in that same spot where K state, you got to the last, three, four weeks of the season, K-State just needed to finish a couple more games off, and then they go from being in the picture and in the conversation to, okay, then they are actually in. That's where Tech is right now. They are in the conversation. They're in the picture, but they have to get the job done. So if Tech regresses and they go back to the Tech that we saw that lost eight games in a row, then there you have it. They lose these last three games. We don't have to talk about Texas Tech again because we know that they're totally out of it. They had their little push there, but they're not in. I just, you know – I tech, I get it. You can hate the non-con and everything there, but they also deserve some credit for the league that they're playing in because if they were in another league, we would probably be looking at them with a better record and we wouldn't be questioning their non-con schedule because they probably have a better overall record. Like if they were, you know, whatever it may be, like say they're nine and five right now in some other league or something along those lines. So I, I just think... 10 and 7 in the Pac 12. Like, who? That's an attractive thing. I don't know. I mean, I just, I just (laughs) wonder, you know, if a certain team, and here's the thing that team gets three straight chances of quad one wins on the road in the next two weeks. They're going to win two of them. They'll they'll figure it out. They'll get it all sorted out just like this. The the beauty of it is we're we're arguing, and you know what? Games have to be played. Games have to be played. Alec, what would you say if a team that's on the bubble lost a non-conference game to Texas Southern earlier this year? <laughs> what would you say on about the road? That blind blind on resume, road. blind resume, Alec. It lost to Texas Southern in overtime in the non-con. On the road, I'm and just. The, I'm, and the, you need to see more than just one game, you know. And the mean? net non-con uh, strength of schedule is 197 for this team. Well, that's better. That's better than Texas Tech's. So, what this what team also has losses by forty to San Francisco, 
uh, a loss to Washington as well, a home loss to Colorado. Washington so has the West Coast version of Zach Eady that nobody knows about. Tim, <laughs> am I what, wrong, what, Gabe? Am what I the wrong? non-con strength of schedule doesn't show you, though, Mason, is Hunter Dickinson claiming he was going to beat this team by 25 and losing 30. to them by Not 20. 25, it was 30. And losing Good to them point. by 25. 40, losing by 40. They were down by 40 at one point. Honestly, if if uh, if Arizona State, you know, wins these last three games against UCLA, Arizona, and, and USC um, that they have on, on their schedule, it would be kind of crazy uh, to think about, like, they would be a great test to people doing the blind resume because they'd be six and two in quad one games. Uh, but you would look around and you'd be like, oh, they're four and six in quad two. And then they have a quad four loss. It really puts some people into a pretzel. But they'll, if Arizona they, State, they'd be if in if they're they won 23 win team with six quad one wins and don't make the tournament, <laughs> I will, I will personally make an attack on Indianapolis, the NCAA headquarters. There will be, <laughs> there will be problems. Okay. Uh, we, we've talked but enough about trying to put Gabe. They're not going to win their last three games. Yeah. Uh, we've maybe, talked enough maybe about they beat Arizona. Arizona has shown a propensity to lose to bad teams this year. They lost at, uh, who did they lose to? Okay. Utah's well, actually pretty decent. It doesn't we've, matter. We've gotten off. We've gotten off uh, on on enough of a tangent there. I'm just trying to protect this league um, because I, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to fight back against these these narratives. Against the, you know, there's an anti Big Twelve bias out there. Uh, some people just hate the league. The, the, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that it's the Illinois grad. You hate us because you ain't us type of deal. I don't know. No one is saying the Big Twelve's not the best league. Yeah, you're just I'm trying just to thinking about how much better well. the league would be if the four corner schools were in it. Oh God, don't be get great. started, Gabe. I tell you what, Texas Tech wouldn't have to play; they wouldn't even have to play non-con games, and they could just go like four and twenty in league play, and they'd get in. If you added Arizona in, <laughs> yeah, the we're mix, doing a twenty-four teams. We're doing a twenty-four game non-conference schedule in the Big Twelve. Yeah, that's a gauntlet. Yeah, well. Not, it's like if you're ranking gauntlets, it goes ACC. And North then, Carolina's gauntlet. Yeah, North Carolina's gauntlet, and then the Big 12. Uh, if you know, you know. Again, go. go was that go a Rothstein tweet? Tweet. About the gauntlet, or who who was it that had the tweet about North Carolina's gauntlet? It had to Rothstein. be Rothstein. No one, else, um, no one else is dumb enough to put that out besides him. It's a good point. I hope you're uh, listening, John Rothstein. On on the topic of of talking about, you know, well, let's tie this Can back. Can you tag him when you tweet really this out? out? Yeah, I'll I, I'll I'll work on that. Um, He'll respond to on on stuff that people actually care about here. When we're talking, we talked about K State earlier, and you know the seating and everything. Last night's win against Baylor, uh, to me, like it it firmly means that the worst they will be is a five seed. Like I think that they can can lose out and they will be a five which is still good, you know, most of the way. Um, I think if they collect two more wins, they're for sure a four, and they're still maybe even a three with that, like you look at what's going on. But if they go, you know, three and one over this next stretch, or maybe you get another game tossed in there because maybe one of those wins comes there, like K-State as a two seed starts to become a very realistic possibility. Um, I'll ask both of you, what you, what do you think – the chances of that is and also 
what teams, I guess, that are currently in that discussion do you think K-State would be able to overtake? Because we'll, we'll just use uh, Lenardi for an example. His two seeds right now are UCLA, Texas, Arizona, and Baylor. Obviously, Baylor, I guess, is the clear answer there. They could t- overtake Baylor, and maybe they already have with what, what's gone on the last two games. Um, but what are the what are the chances there, and, and ultimately, where do you think K State ends up seed wise? I think that they end up as a three seed, um, and I think if you talk about them moving up to a two line, I don't think they're going to end up higher than Texas, UCLA, or Arizona. Um, and I think Tennessee is kind of flirting with falling a little bit closer to the four line, but they're pretty firmly right now, I think, on the three line. So you're hoping that you pass Tennessee or Virginia, and Baylor, assuming Baylor were to follow the three line. Yeah, well, I, I think, but I don't know if K State's win last night over Baylor moves them ahead of Virginia or Tennessee. I think it probably moves them ahead of Tennessee now. I think t- I think there's enough like Did they win last night against A and M. They lost. They lost. Oh yeah, yeah, they might be ahead of Tennessee now. So I think I think K State might be creeping towards. You know, we'll we'll have to see um, what the the people that are the experts think moving forward. But there's a chance that K State's going to be staring at you know being the top three seed heading into the weekend. There, they will. I would say that they're going to be a three, and I would say that they're going to be closer to a two than a four because Iowa State's trending down, Tennessee's trending down, Baylor is kind of trending down. Uh, but Marquette is trending up, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but but then among the four seed teams. Xavier and Indiana are trending down. So yeah, I, I just Indiana's probably gonna lose I think they're pretty safely a three. I think they are pretty safely a three because it would it would require Marquette, Gonzaga, and Miami to probably all jump them because Tennessee and Iowa State are going down anyways. So mm-hmm. I think that they're a three. And if they make it to the Big 12 title game, they will be a two. Regardless uh, of what yeah. happens in the last three games. Aside from a loss to Oklahoma at home, if they just go one and two in the last three in the regular season, and then they win uh, two games in Kansas City, they are going to be a two. Yeah, because you'd finish twenty four and ten essentially. If like even if you lost in the conference title game, uh, here's here's a couple of notes on these teams that that we've just thrown out there that K State might be battling um, for that last two spot. Well, I'll throw Baylor into the mix now because you know whatever. But I assume Baylor is going to go down with how everything's played out. So. K-State against quad one, they are 11 and seven in quad one games. They don't have uh, a quad three or four loss. They're, they're 10 and 0 uh, in those games. And numbers to, to pay attention to right now uh, for K-State, the road losses, the road loss at Oklahoma is going to be close if it ends up quad one or quad two. It's quad one right now, could easily end up there. But K-State's 11 and seven in those games, eight and six. In quad one, for Baylor, they are thirteen and eight in their quad one and two games. They don't have a quad two loss. They don't have another one of those games left on their schedule. Um, they're nine and eight, and they have wins over UCLA and Kansas this year. Um, but they do have a loss to Marquette, so they have that uh, going for them. Uh, and then Tennessee. This is the one where it starts to look a little shaky for Tennessee, especially the way they're trending right now. Tennessee is uh, they're let's see they're nine and eight against quad one and quad two, but they're three and four against quad two teams. 
So that kind of surprised me a little bit. I know that they've struggled, but they've got losses to Vanderbilt and Ole Miss and Colorado uh, that, that don't look the best. And then home losses to like Mississippi State and Missouri. Um, so just stuff to monitor uh, with this team and how things are shaking out. I just, K-State's resume is going to be able to stack up there with some of those teams. Um, Marquette, they probably have the advantage on Marquette's 10 and five in quad one and two games. But Marquette is uh, five and zero oh in quad two. They do have a loss uh, in quad three that Alec and I talked about early in the season. Uh, they lost in early December to Wisconsin uh, in overtime. So they just have a bad loss on there that a team like K State or Baylor isn't going to end up having. And I don't think Tennessee will have the chance to have at this point either. Now, so um, that's K State's competition for a two seed. So they also. They also could be a one. If K State won out, they'd be a one. That's true. That's true. So that is is on the table. You know what? Some people, some people throw around the word viable loosely. It's possible. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. I mean, hey, you know, investors possibly you. Uh, K State, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. I mean, I don't. I don't think that is likely. They they obviously could. I doubt they will, um, but the more it goes, I think if they win against Oklahoma State, I think the goal should be that K State is ends up as a two seed in this tournament. Because I, I think you look at the last two games, you'd hope they could take care of them, and then depending on what happens in Kansas City, they could work their way there. Certainly, if they win their next two games, I think regardless of what happens, they they're they're a three seed. They're not going to drop below that. Um, I think really the only thing that almost guarantees that you're not a lock for it is losing at home to Oklahoma. So you just have to avoid that, but they're going to be able to keep themselves kind of in the mix for it. And we'll see ultimately how it ends up playing out. So, yeah, I think losing out is a five winning out is a one getting to the big 12 title is a two and then losing two of the last three and losing early in the big 12 play in the big 12 tournament is four. Mason, you'll you'll know this answer off the top of your head. Is K State won the Big Twelve title ever? The Big Twelve tournament title ever? No, no, nope. not. Nope. I'm but hey, here. The, look, the only the only people that really care about winning the Big Twelve tournament is Iowa State. Everybody else in the is league the, is just it's just kind of like, oh, hey, you know what? If we win it, whatever, great. It's just fun to be there. Iowa State, they show up there. That's their Super Bowl. They'd rather win the Big Twelve tournament than the NCAA tournament. I was going to say the only people who care about winning the Big 12 tournament is whoever ends up winning the Big 12 that's tournament. That's true. That's also true. That they care that's true. That's true with every conference except the ACC, where the ACC's champion is actually, like technically actually the tournament champion, which I think is weird. Which is dumb. Uh, yeah, I think that's weird. Well, you'll, you'll, you'll like this. Uh, your boys at Texas, they won it in the COVID year, 2021. Did they? Uh, yeah, they beat, Oklahoma, they beat Oklahoma State. Uh, and I really Texas, like that Texas team. And Texas didn't have to play KU in the semifinal because uh, KU had a couple guys pop off positive COVID tests. So Texas just got a straight bye. Uh, meanwhile, Oklahoma State had a grind through West Virginia and Baylor to get to the championship game. And Texas got to play him with one day's rest after O-State had played back-to-back against two very that good basketball teams. That so weird. Shaka felt so, so bad about it, he left. <laughs> Quit his job. Yeah, I just said, I'm out. Can I do this anymore? Can I say if there's one thing that that was that was good about that season, and then we can get out of here. Is Baylor was, winning the title? 
Yeah, yeah, that's up there. Um, if there's one good thing about that season, it's that there was quality games on seven nights a week. Like there was good games on on Friday because we had to make up so many games, and the schedule was condensed from the get go. So there was good games on every night of the week. Now you get like one good game on a Friday night, and it sucks. Uh, here you go, Alec. Little little refresher for you on how this is uh all worked out. Um. The most Big 12 tournament titles, I'm sure you can guess who they belong to. Probably Texas Tech. <laughs> uh, uh, a Tech, believe it or not, has played in two Big 12 tournament title games, but they have not I won Kansas probably has the most. Yep. Yes. Kansas is number one. They are 12 and three in uh, Big 12 tournaments. Uh, well, I'm just, I'm only going to have you guess teams that have won it. Uh, the second most Big 12 tournament titles belongs to a team that's been previously mentioned. I mean, we've mentioned 75% of power six yep, schools. We've talked about everybody in the league today, but Iowa State. This, yeah, as I say, Iowa State, State. Time, I guess. They've been pretty good uh, here. Over the, I mean, they were really good under Hoiberg. Iowa State has never lost a Big 12 tournament title game that they've made it to. They're 5-0 and wow. in championship game appearances. How many of those did they win under Hoiberg? Um, like three, I think. Um. Because they they one of them they won under Larry Eustacey back in like uh, like turn of the century, and then let me see I think they won one under Prome. Oh yeah, uh, so 2019 they beat K State in like the last minute, and then they went on to beat KU in the title game the next day. So uh, they they won three of them under Hoiberg, um, and they won two back to back in 14 and 15. Um, other teams that have won it oklahoma is three and two uh in the big 12 uh tournament title game so they've won three missouri oklahoma state have won two and then texas has won one texas is one and six in big 12 tournament title games so their only their only win was the COVID year they lost the ku in the uh in in kevin durant's year i'd imagine that making it to seven though has to be is making it to seven the second or third most uh that is that's that's the second most behind kansas kansas has made it 15 times texas has made it seven times uh and then baylor and west virginia are zero and three and k-state and texas tech are zero and two tcu colorado nebraska and texas a&m never played in it so there you go k-state's uh two losses in it um in the title game 2010 the year k-state went to the elite eight uh they lost to ku uh, 72 to 64. Uh, and then they lost again in 2013, the year they shared the title with KU in the regular season. KU won that game 70 to 54. And I hate that I looked this up because I didn't remember that Jeff Withy of all people won the big 12 most outstanding player. So didn't need that. Well, Jeff Withy action. I can handle seeing Sharon Collins win it. Jeff Withy, get out of town. So Let me hopefully ask that changes this year. before, before we go. On, on the subject of Big 12 tournaments. What is the, given that we've pretty much seen uh, every team in the league play each other twice, for the most part, what is the matchup that you most want to see K-State get a third shot at, other than KU, because that's a given? Texas. Um, Texas, because I don't put any stock to the first game between the two teams, and I think K-State played maybe the worst half of basketball against Texas in the second half in Manhattan. So Texas is my answer. 
Honestly, Texas, Texas would be my answer above Kansas, to be honest with you. Texas is probably the answer because of what Alec is saying. That first game, like, you just you don't know what to really make of it. Like, K-State deserves credit for winning that game, but, but how much does it actually mean? And then, yeah, the, the way things went down in Manhattan, you're up at halftime, and you let them get back in it just like that. You had the lead with a minute left. So it's probably Texas to, to go out there and try and prove yourself. Um, and, and that would probably be the one. I don't know. I was trying to think if there's anybody else that uh, – I was going to be... say I would love to see a 3-6 matchup against TCU with a healthy Mike Miles on a neutral court. I was going to would TCU would have been the other one I would suggest just because of you played them when they weren't healthy in Manhattan, and it felt really easy. And then the game in Fort Worth, you felt like prior to the game against Oklahoma in the second half, that was probably K-State's worst game they had played all year, where it just felt like they, they didn't have a chance from the get-go. Um, and so you could kind of go out and prove yourself with that. So that probably be – I don't want to see K-State have to play TCU because I just think TCU is a tough matchup for them. Um, but I, from the standpoint of getting one back, I would like to see it again. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's going to be great. I, I love the Big 12 tournament. I love any conference tournament. I did hate my life the year that I had to go cover the American Athletic Conference Tournament instead of the Big 12 Tournament. Uh, but it was still a conference tournament, and I enjoyed it, even though I think I had COVID during it. Um, so that wasn't very fun. Like, I, I went down there. I had been sick the, the week leading up. Uh, the guy I was doing the morning show with had been sick the week prior and had been in and out. And then he eventually tested positive for COVID, like, the day after I got back from Texas. And I was like, oh, okay, so what I have is probably COVID. But I, I started to feel better on that Wednesday. And so then I went back to work on a Thursday. K-State almost beat Baylor. A really bad K-State team almost beat Baylor in, in the, the quarterfinals of the Big 12 tournament. And I was like, okay, here we go. Like, we're, we're, we're getting better. I drove down to Texas that night after the game. And I woke up in the morning at like 530 because I had to do the radio show for my hotel room. And I had a 101-degree fever. And I felt like crap again. And I went down to the front desk and I bought a water bottle and I chugged that thing. I didn't take anything else. And by like 9.30 that morning, I was doing our Wichita State pregame show and my fever broke and I started to feel better from that point moving forward. And so I went and probably contaminated a bunch of people at uh, Dickey's Arena. So Sick. my apologies to them and the CDC uh, on, on my COVID can contamination. I, can I share a similar story real quick? sick yes so my junior year of college was when covid was happening and i unfortunately tested positive for covid uh literally like two days after i got to campus and for a while the university was not putting people up in hotel rooms or whatever if they didn't have to but you could kind of like get your way into it at certain points and one of my pledge brothers in my fraternity was able to get into a hotel, which was much better than other circumstances. But he gets into a hotel and ironically, one of his like good friends is staying across the hall from him um, in the hotel. And she also has coronavirus. So they decide like they're going to hang out. Is this, and is this family friendly to be telling yeah, right here? It, I'm... Is. it is. They decide okay. that they're going to hang out and she like, takes a picture of the two of them like hanging out on Snapchat or whatever. And someone screenshots it and sends it to the university. And the university 
tries charging my pledge brother with bioterrorism and trying to kick him out of the university for hanging out, hanging with hanging out with someone when he was known to be covid positive and he had to go through this months-long process and basically go to trial like university court or whatever like an honor code violation and prove that the person he was hanging out with had covid and a whole bunch of other details but yes he was being charged essentially as a bioterrorist and Mason, your story reminded me of my pledge brother being accused of being a bioterrorist. That means that means, were, that means what I did was I'm, a federal crime because I crossed state lines to do it. Yeah, you were you were kind of being a bioterrorist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, dang. Well, I guess uh, Alec and Gabe will handle Friday's podcast. The FBI <laughs> will have me in custody uh, for crimes that I committed in 2021 uh, when I had COVID and took it to Texas with me. Um, <laughs> So that'll do it. That'll do it for us. Uh, I think the first 40 minutes of the show were really insightful and really positive. We fought for a long time about a team that I really don't give a shit about in Texas tech. Like they make it whatever they don't. <laughs> Great. I don't care. I just wanted to fight Alec on it. Cause I think they deserve a little bit more respect. Um, I'm going to make, I'm going to make sure it's say respect tech, you know, and, and get those circulating. <laughs> Uh, but that'll do it for Gabe, Alec, and I. And Alec and I will be back on Friday to preview the game with Oklahoma State and uh, get set for a lot of other things. Be sure to get signed up for email online if you're not with plenty of coverage after basketball games, but also uh, great coverage coming up in the next few days with recruiting and other stuff covering the basketball team because basketball is fun again in Manhattan. It was not fun for two games. It's fun again, uh, and we'll see where the Cats take the rest of the season from here.